So, Richard, I'm going to hand over to you because I think you know Dr. David Unwin and Dr. Jen Unwin, and I don't. So, so I've, um, yeah, I mean, I, I did a podcast and had the pleasure of meeting Jen in the PhD conference. Uh, I didn't get chance or the pleasure to meet David in person, but hello both. Uh, welcome on board. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Jen and I recorded a podcast recently uh, on food addiction, which is one of the, the things that we wanted to go into detail today, uh, amongst other things. But look, look, thank you both so much for coming on. Um, huge, huge pleasure to get you on here. Uh, it's been uh, how, how long are we in? Nine hours into the 24 hour live. Oh, I was, wondering, I was wondering if we were at the tail end or at the beginning. So you, you, you're just getting in your stride now, nine hours. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. you, crazy, you crazy guys. Yeah, Do you know, initially we were concerned that we wouldn't have enough content, uh, but it looks like we're running out of time with the speakers. I don't think we've, I think, I think we should have allocated more time, but uh, yeah, nine hours and counted. Do you both know uh, Stephen? No, hello, Stephen. Hello, Dr. Jen, and hello, Dr. David. I mean, I know of I know of you two, and um, I'd love to get you onto my podcast. I mean, I, I'm a specialist practitioner in diabetes and obesity. The diabetes oh, thing, great. I love I love the the sugar infographics and all that sort of stuff, that, which is great. Obviously, disappointed David hasn't got his bow tie on, but because um, I was expecting that. Yeah, expecting the signature um, bow tie. We've just been next door. It's our neighbour's 50th wedding anniversary, and we were like, oh, we've got to go, we've got to go. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I just had this crazy idea that we might be able to spread the word by doing something unusual, and uh, – it just had a ring to it, a 24-hour live stream, the biggest conversation about keto, low-carb and carnivore. It just seemed yes. to get people's interest. And, uh, and nine hours. People, we're the only people with enough energy to do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, in fact, that's the first thing. We opened with that, saying that when we were high-carb, if we were trying to do something like this, we would be thinking, oh, we've got to eat three times a day. Oh, this is no good. We've got to have breakfast. you know. And we would have panicked trying to do 24 hours. Hours. Literally, yeah. I have a little sort of selection of stuff there to possibly eat, and I haven't touched it once. It's incredible. Yeah. And you're right, this way of eating definitely does that. Um, I'm going to hand over to Rich because for the viewers that don't know you, we do need a little bit of an introduction of what Dr. Jen and what Dr. David do. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, um, Stephen has kindly written introductions for everyone, but um, we've been handing over to the guy. So, would you both like to introduce yourselves and give us a little rundown on uh, on what you guys do? Yeah. Do you want to go first, David? I would, oh, never. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I've opened my mouth now, so I'll uh, I'll carry on, carry on. Uh, yeah. So I'm um, a, a GP from north of Liverpool, and um, I'm really interested in what are the true causes of the chronic illnesses that so many of my patients have. Why are they ill? And I realise now that I wasn't very. I didn't show much interest in that. I lacked curiosity about why are people ill for the first 25 years of my practice. And I defaulted I date of communication far too often. Now that I've really got into why are people ill, I'm discovering that lifestyle is often um, at fault. And if you change lifestyle, we're not using uh, drugs 
Specifically, I'm obsessed, uh, and that isn't too forward. I'm obsessed uh, with helping my patients with type 2 diabetes control their diabetes or get into remission without using drugs. And I look after the physiology side of it, and Jen will talk to you about the psychology side of helping people change their behavior. Uh, we've been doing it for 10 years now in HS practice, and we've uh, published a lot of papers. We go all over the world spreading the, the, the word. And arguably, we've now got the best results of any clinic in the world. And this is in an NHS clinic looking after people with type 2 diabetes. So this week, I saw my 130th patient that's achieved drug-free remission of their type 2 diabetes. And it just gives us such joy and such pleasure. And we hadn't seen remission of diabetes, drug-free remission of diabetes. I hadn't seen it once in the first 25 years of my practice. And now we've seen it 130 times. And it just, get back to said at the beginning, um, really, if, if, if the problem with diabetes is a high blood sugar, it seemed reasonably logical to think, well, where did that sugar come from and could I have eaten it? And that's the basis for us of the of the low carb diet that we use. Um, so it's in 10 minutes appointments we're doing this, but we also have run groups, group consultations for 10 years. And that's a new thing for me in general practice. So that's, I think that's enough from me now. Jen? Yeah, you're a bit, you're, I don't know, you're, um, you're a bit, uh, you're a bit fuzzy as well. We can't hear you very well. We've got a thunderstorm here, so it's, I can see that, it's but, yeah. But um, maybe it's just over you then. Anyway, so <laughs> Jen's feed seems fine. <laughs> yeah, mine seems mine seems fine. Um, yeah, so I'm Dr. Jen Unwin. I'm a clinical health psychologist by background. So I've I've always worked. Uh, I've retired now from the NHS, but I was in the NHS for all my career, helping people with chronic conditions to live as best they could with those conditions. So it might have been chronic pain or some sort of disability or disfigurement or some some sort of life-limiting um, condition and helping them to sort of um, live their best lives with, with whatever that condition was. So I was always really interested in motivation and behaviour change and um, and hope. So hope was my big topic and I did my doctorate on hope and the difference that hope makes to to how people adjust to physical health challenges and to be honest hope makes such a massive difference it even makes a difference to how long people live so people who are more hopeful are and who take more steps towards sort of um you know their their goals and their and their best hopes are, are actually more likely to to live uh, longer, to take less medication, to consult doctors less often, et cetera, et cetera. So, it, you know, it makes, it makes a big difference. So that was the psychology side. And then, as David said, about about 11 years ago now, um, we just thought it would be nice to work together. We haven't put our skills together and worked on anything bef before then. And I just recently found low carb. I'd struggled all my life with, with weight and uh and so on and i read dr john briffle's book 
um, escape the diet trap that some people will have come across. He was also a British GP, but he was one of the first to sort of talk about low carb in this country. And so we thought, and it worked for me. So we thought, right, we're going to try it. We could see how it could work. We're going to try it with David's pre-diabetic patients because there were just more and more of them and they were just getting sicker and sicker. And um, the first 18 patients um, we wrote up for the um, for a research article, and and it's just been going on ever since. The the rest is history. Practical, so, uh, practical diabetes. On, yeah, in practical diabetes, and then um, I also real, uh, realized that low carb ketos it's fantastic, but it's kind of yes if people stick to it and. Um, People, people like me with food addiction problems <laughs> and body weight problems often have problems st sticking to a low carb diet, even when it's worked fantastically for them, you know, or they felt amazing on keto. We've got all those benefits that you've been hearing about in the last nine hours. And we even know that then some of us really struggle to to stick, you know, to stick to that lifestyle. So I started getting more and more interested in in that and wanted to really understand this thing that um, that that looks like an addiction. You know, it, it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck. It looks exactly like an addiction. Um, people who, you know still craving foods that you know they don't actually want to be eating are losing control of, e of eating those foods and continuing to eat them in in spite of the fact they know they're harming themselves physically and mentally and you know what what else would that be apart from someone with someone with diabetes who continues to eat um sugary uh, carby and ultra processed foods it's a it's kind of a form of self-harm so i'm just super interested in that and that's that's what um i've been concentrating more on in the last sort of four years four years or so love this fantastic and an incredible comment there um incredible 130 lives that should say saved i think a force to change i mean because that's exactly what you guys are doing is saving lives isn't it um and unfortunately i mean there's this there's, there's this common uh disassociation between carbohydrate and sugars within uh the community you know we, we view carbohydrate and sugars as being two different things uh they are and one and the same carbohydrates break down into sugar and unfortunately Within society, people who are consuming lots of bread, pasta, uh, cereals, um, are unknowingly consuming high quantities of sugar, uh, as well as uh, damaging lectins and phytic acid and things. But circling back to a comment you just made there, so you, Jen, were the catalyst that began all of this in the first place, which I wasn't aware of. So fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's it's like that. Um, I I don't know whoever said it, but I love it. It's to to make your mess into your mission. So, you know, it's 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 that thing of if you struggle with something and you've tried to understand it and you've actually, you know, you 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 feel that probably through that struggle you can you can help other people to live a better life. You know, I think there's there's nothing. There's nothing more rewarding than that, is there? And to carry on learning and helping more people, it's um, yeah, it's very, it's very, very rewarding. And we get to what's lovely is that we get to do that together. You know, it's not we had two separate careers, but now, as David says, you know, we get to speak together, and people invite invite us to go all, all around the place speaking. So, what could be nicer? 
Yeah, fantastic. And I think, you know, we're all in a similar boat in, in that regards. You know, Stephen and I, um, we give up much of our time for free to do lives every Sunday, uh, free coaching, public speaking events in regards to, to spreading the word. I mean, I think, um, you know, we touched base on it earlier, Steve, wasn't it, that uh, we feel that we found a secret and we're trying to spread that mm. secret to as many people as we can. Um, yes. You know, during our podcast, you know, I, I mentioned to you that I used to be a type 2 diabetic, clinically obese, suffered with depression, anxiety, arthritic pains, daily debilitating migraines that would make me blind, for which I was on three different medications for. Um, I was unable to walk up my stairs without stopping or being severely out of breath. And from changing the food that I put into my mouth, uh, I didn't only reverse every one of those things. Uh, I lost 107 pounds, reversed to diabetes. I went on to become uh, a professional uh, champion at a pro level, a European champion. Um, and this is all down to diet and lifestyle. And, and you know, it's similar to similar situation. My wife and I have sold three houses to put into the business where we try to re-educate people. And, and this was the the whole idea behind this this live. This crazy idea that Steve came up with where we got live for 24 hours, um, which I'm sure he's beginning to regret now nine hours in. But no, <laughs> fantastic. You know, and coming back to something you said there now, I mean it's food addiction. Um, and something you told me during the podcast, food addiction is not a recognized illness within the NHS. Is that right? So we've got alcohol addiction, drug addiction, gambling addiction, gambling. food addiction. Yeah. yeah, so at the moment, obviously, you can't because it's not recognised here or, or in the state, anywhere internationally, in the even in the US, although they're probably a little bit further ahead than, than we are in sort of acknowledging that it may be, um, it may be a problem. Um, yeah, so, of course, that means because it's not acknowledged, there's very little research being done and there's very um little indication about you know how you effectively help people and therefore there, there's no help we think that conservatively i mean really conservatively 10 percent of the population probably have this problem a bit a bit like you know all of us drink alcohol but not all of us develop a, you know a, a kind of clinical problem with with alcohol but the same with food a lot of us eat these kinds of foods and many of us struggle you know to resist them but there, there is this this group of us that that you know really have this really addictive sort of relationship with processed foods and particularly sugars and carbohydrates um so 10 percent would would equal about four and a half million adults in in the UK. Wow. So that's four and a half million adults who are doing themselves harm on a daily basis. Um, don't know what to do with themselves. You know, struggling. And if if they go and see their healthcare practitioner, unless they're lucky enough to live in Southport and they get to meet David. <laughs> Those healthcare practitioners aren't wouldn't know what to do with them. They wouldn't probably ask about it. They wouldn't know where to refer them. You might get sent to mental health services, but they wouldn't have any idea how to treat you. You know, the even the addiction services, they're not going to be interested because they only treat alcohol and you say like drug addiction. These are these other addictions. So it's um it's yeah it's a sort of um, hidden sort of emperor's clothes thing. Like we all. If you ask the public, is it possible to be addicted to to certain foods, they, they're going to say yes, but then there's no help for people or, you know, you're actually kind of laughed at if you say that certain foods are addictive and people say, oh, food can't, you know, how can food be addictive? We have to eat kind of thing. So we well, do have sad. 
I think one of the things is one of the things is shame that people yeah. in every clinic I do, I'm discovering people who uh, they know they are uh, a, a carb addict, but it's the shame. They say it's so ridiculous. I can't give up bread. In fact, bread is is one of the things, one of the foods that I eat most. Mm. And here's a funny thing: I never found a single bread in the first twenty five years. But if you never ask, you never will find them because they're so ashamed. Yeah. Um, and they nearly all yeah. cry when they tell me because they sound so ridiculous. It's almost a relief when people understand why they're behaving in this odd way. Intelligent people eating yeah. stuff that's shortening yeah. their lives. And it, it's a great pleasure, really, to help people with that in terms of at least they know they're not mad. They, yeah, you know, and I think they get that. Sorry. Yeah, I, th I think it's the, the big problem is they blame willpower. You just lack yes. willpower, which is absolutely ridiculous to say. I mean, I've never met anybody that smokes for their health, and I've never met anyone that smokes and says, I'm just choosing to smoke. <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah. it's the same with this drug carb addiction. There are people that say to me, I know I shouldn't eat bread. I know I shouldn't eat donuts. I just can't stop myself. And it yeah. is just a that's right, yeah, exactly. because they're driven. You know, the primitive brain is 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 driven uh, to you know to kind of stop you starving, basically. And it's you know you're, you're driven to to eat these foods, even though when the frontal lobes are telling you you don't want to eat those foods, but you, your hand reaches for the foods. It's it is the most incredible process, and of course, you know, makes you feel like you're a bit bonkers if you don't un understand that that mechanism yeah. and so as david says people kind of hide it they're ashamed that they can't control themselves um also there's the kind of denial factor because although we know we should give up our foods the thought of and david will tell you this the thought of giving up the bread or the chocolate or whatever it is which is kind of your best friend well it's not your best friend is it but it, you know life without those things feels incredibly you know, it just feels impossible as well. So people are often often in in denial about the harms that 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 are happening, and also they don't know what what to do anyway. So they just sort of deny it's a problem. Yeah, and again, I mean, supplementary it's, point. I'd like to, sorry, another supplementary point I'd like to make is that you know. I can help patients with cigarette addiction, with alcohol addiction, and even gambling. Gambling, there is no substance. So I can refer you for your gambling addiction, which is very serious and ruins lives. And yet here we have this thing which is affecting so many people, and we're denying that the condition actually exists so that there is no help for any of those, which is a real tragedy. It is shortening lives. It is killing people. And I'm so mystified how I missed it in five years. And it's such a tragedy that many people are suffering privately and secretly. And there's nobody they can tell. And any doctor you go to is going to say, well, we don't have anywhere to refer you uh, for that. Time to tell them about your book, Jen, probably. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I've got, oh, I have got a copy here. You'll be able to see. So I wrote, I wrote a little book in lockdown called Talk in the Road. There it is. Put it in the face there. Hopeful Guide to Food Dreams. Uh, and uh, all profits go to the Public Health Collaboration, which is the charity that um rich was at the the conference for and it's just got all the all the basic things that i'm probably talking about uh this evening are, are in that um in that in that little book and uh, you'll also be helping helping the charity that david and i both work for and, and support to spread you know this thing what i was so sort of saying about raising people's awareness spreading spreading the good news and hopefully Soon we'll be launching some courses for professionals to understand the problem and also for the public themselves. Um, you know, we'll be doing groups and courses um, so that people can people can start their journey to recovery. Yeah, I love this. It's fantastic. And, you know, it, um, it baffles me how this isn't recognised as an addiction because, for me, it's the single most... Um, uh, detrimental thing within society. Um, you know, we look, it comes back to this name and shame thing, isn't it? We become ashamed of the food we eat. And I've been there, I've hidden the food that I eat, and I know that I'm doing wrong. I'll, I'll nip out to, uh, you know, or used to nip out to a fast food restaurant. Uh, I'd hide the wrappers. Um, and it's this it's this name and shame um, society where people will just say to you that, um, uh, you know, uh, you need some willpower, but it goes well beyond that, doesn't it? Which is what we touched base on during our talk. It's uh, it's how it affects uh, the neurotransmitter signals within the brain. It, these these foods block certain pathways, the catecholaminergic neurotransmitters within the brain. Um, they they block the cofactors like iron, zinc, and vitamin B twelve, which we need to synthesize things like serotonin and dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine. Um, do you want to go into a little bit more about that in regards to how these foods that we consume are blocking the absorption of these cofactors and and the production of of these 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 neurotransmitters? Because when our brains, when we're not receiving these signals, you know, we go chasing dopamine, for example, don't we? We're hardwired to chase dopamine, and I think yeah. you know this is a massive contributing factor to to this addiction. And it, it isn't that person's fault. It's about understanding that the food that they are yeah. consuming is contributing. In it's this vicious cycle, isn't it? That where you need yeah. you need to understand what's causing it in the first place, remove one or two of these offending foods, then our neurotransmitter signals, um, the catecholaminergic neurotransmitter synthesis began, you know, begins to to, to ramp back up and, and we feel a lot better. But we went into a lot of detail in, in this that we did in during that talk. Yeah. Do you want to expand a little bit more? Yeah, certainly can do. And someone's just made the comment, haven't they, that the common denominator in alcohol and food is is often is often sugar. And all of these things are operating in the same part of the, the brain. So whether it's alcohol, sugar, cigarettes, you know, it's it's all to do with these neurotransmitters and um um yeah, you, you're absolutely right that dopamine is, is a big part of it. And we're hearing more and more about dopamine, aren't we? People are sort of, you know, yeah, dopamine, that's kind of interesting. And we know it's also involved in things like um, mobile phone, you know, addiction, addiction to kind of scrolling as well. That, you know, we, we, we're all very 
we wouldn't be here today if we weren't sort of motivated to get certain things and achieve certain things. That's how we've survived. It's been really motivated to find the food that we needed or to, you know, to, to do the jobs that we needed to do during the day to survive. So when we have um ultra processed foods or you know even just simple sugar sugars and, and carbohydrates um one of the things that happens is we do get a, a nice a nice sort of dop- dopamine boost and kind of we love that but what goes up must come down like all like all things and the brain doesn't really like these high levels like everything in biology there's a kind of balance in the body you know one thing's going to sort of interact with another thing so um, when the dopamine goes high for a long period of time the brain thinks oh there's a lot of dopamine slushing around here we'll just um we'll just knock out a few we don't need so many dopamine receptors in the brain um but of course the problem then is that um when you don't have as many dopamine receptors in the brain in the normal course of your life, when you're not eating sugar, you, you're feeling a little bit flat because it doesn't feel that, you know, this, there's, there's enough dopamine. So then you're looking for the next hit to sort of give you another boost. And then the brain thinks, oh, you know, there's another bit of high dopamine. We'll knock out a few more receptors. And it, it's a really bad idea to not have enough dopamine receptors because we start to feel more and more depressed and more and more anxious and it's been shown in studies that you know these high sugar diets do leave you genuinely feeling more depressed and, and, and more anxious. So, um, so that's one thing. And then there's a similar path that goes on with with serotonin. Um, when if you have a, um, sugars are high, then obviously insulin's high um, to deal with the sugars. But when insulin is high, um, tryptophan can cross into the blood brain barrier more easily than normal and tryptophan gets converted into serotonin so you get a big nice serotonin high you feel great but what goes up must come down and again so so it's um it's a vicious cycle going in a bad way it's a you know it's a trap that's difficult to get out of because you do get withdrawal symptoms not physical withdrawal symptoms but um, psychological withdrawal symptoms of feeling l- more low, feeling more anxious, etc. Um, and you have to get through that and out the other side to, to, to start to feel better, which is what I experienced all those all those many years ago. Um, but at that time, I was just thinking of it as a sort of physical withdrawal, if you like, um, which it which it is it is to some extent, but it's it's also psychological. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and to circle back to something you just said about um, the tryptophan, I mean, the opposite is, is also true in, in a state of insulin resistance. Isn't it? Insulin resistance and inflammation will block um, the dopamine pathways and we're hardwired to chase these dopamine hits. So we we end up searching for other ways to, to stimulate you know, these uh, these dopamine hits. And we get this through sweet foods. Sweet foods release dopamine into the mezzanine pathway. So we chase these sweet foods. And it, it can even be carbohydrates from bread or anything. but uh, you know, an- another factor that is that, that these foods we are consuming are incredibly high, not just in carbohydrate, but in lectins and phytic acid, which are blocking these cofactors, isn't it? You know, the iron, magnesium, uh, vitamin B12, which we need to synthesize, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, tryptophan uh, yes. as well as exactly. creating. Someone was asking about absorption of nutrients, weren't they, about caffeine? I'm, I'm, I don't know that much about that, whether whether that is the case or not. Um, but but definitely, yeah, there does seem to be a factor that 
when you start chasing this high, then then people start focusing on chasing that. And of course, the other foods drop out of their diet. I mean, I remember this happening to me where I would just eat pasta and ice cream and pizza and I wasn't having any foods with, with nutrients in because they, they weren't giving me that kind of buzz. So then, then you're crowding out the, the, the good foods in, in your diet and then people become they are literally deficient and they're craving stuff which you know they're craving real foods but then it, that all gets confused and you end up just chasing these uh, dopamine highs yeah and so i think also i mean we're, we're overfed and undernourished 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it overfed and undernourished. And it's worth thinking about the nutrient density of food. It gives you a new, a new perspective on uh, what nourishment means, because it really is not about calories anymore now. Um, the, I'm just thinking about the vitamin deficiencies we get in the practice. So... Uh, vitamin D deficiency, very common. Folic acid deficiency, uh, I've stopped measuring that. It's so very, very common. And then iron deficiency itself, um, uh, internationally, that's a, a very big one. Yeah, and again, segueing from there, it, um, we know that processed foods and these sweet treats are bad for us, but then there, there are groups of people out there who are actively trying to improve their health and well-being. They're eating lots of fruits and vegetables, thinking they're doing the right thing while neglecting yes. uh, animal proteins. So the issue with this is, yes. you know, vegan, and this isn't a stab at vegans and vegetarians. I've repeated this you know, multiple times today. I work with vegans and vegetarians. I respect anybody's uh, decision uh, in regards to diet and nutrition. But unfortunately... Vegans and vegetarians lack iron. You know, we can't get iron from, from spinach. Popeye was 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 incorrect. Uh, the human body needs heme iron. We need this from animal proteins. Uh, a vegan and vegetarian diet is lacking in vitamin B12. We cannot get B12 cobalamin from, from plants. Um, and zinc, we're lacking. So these 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 standard uh, you know, healthy diets that people are going on who are consciously making an effort to improve their health and well-being. These are being counterintuitive in regards to this, this production of the catecholaminergic neurotransmitters because these are, again, missing the cofactors of iron, zinc, and B12. So even the vegans and vegetarians who are actively trying to be fitter and healthier um, are, are causing issues. And I think, did you and I, Jen, or was it another podcast we referenced, I think, a study where um, vegans and veg vegetarians have a, a higher rate of depression yep. uh, and suicide. So, I mean, it, it comes, it all comes back to this food, doesn't it? So it's not just yep. these sweet treats. It comes back down to even the foods that we believe are highly nutrient dense in regards to, to fruits and vegetables, animal proteins. And I, and I think you guys will agree are the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. And this is what's missing, yep. you know, predominantly from, you know, from, from a healthy diet. From the point of view. Yeah, but, I mean, certainly the people that, that we see when we so we we sometimes do weekends where we're actually with people and we've obviously done all the catering and we're watching people, you know, cho choose what to eat. And um they they so so often um you know don't choose enough protein. They don't prioritize pro prioritize protein. Oh yeah, see that's a lovely comment. Yeah, that's why that's why you want carbs, yeah, because you your brain feels like you're searching for something, aren't you? You just kind of feel flat. You want you want to boost, and um, of course, the other side of um, of treating this is not just that you 
focus on the right foods to eat that's the foundation you know people should eat yeah high quality proteins and fats as, as the basis if they want to add in a bit of this and that then you know that that's fine as well um but it's not just about it's not just about that it has to be about how how in your life in your modern life are you going to get your dopamine serotonin oxytocin and endorphins in um in a good way, in a way that isn't going to cause problems like getting it from ultra-processed food or smoking or alcohol or binge-watching Netflix or, you know, whatever it is. How how in your life are you going to kind of... David and I like to think of it like going back, like if you were in the tribe back in the day, what would you have been doing, you know, to to to, to feel good, like, you know natural things like singing gardening walking um i mean there's so many different hobbies that people could have that would help them and these are the sorts of things that we've given up in modern life because we're you know we're too busy at work or you know we're too tired or you know whatever it is and we need to you know really make these things habits throughout the day to to balance the, the brain chemistry and to keep us feeling good so that we're not falling back into feeling bad, feeling stressed, feeling tired. You know, sleep's so important because all of those things will trigger us back into the these food problems or or other behavioral problems that are that are bad for our health. So it, it's really important to to work on those daily habits that that keep you keep your brain well fed. Direct yeah. sunlight is really important. Sunlight um, for serotonin. I think the last lady was talking about serotonin and, mel- and melatonin. We need to get outside. We need to walk. You know, we need to plug our dogs and <laughs> talk, talk to the family. There's all kinds of things that we can do to kind of feel better that, that aren't going to be about relying on food. Bad Fantastic. Food. Love that. Love that. <laughs> David. <laughs> I'll pass it over to you um, really quickly. I mean, uh, obviously, um, expert in insulin resistance and inflammation. So we, we've covered uh, the psychological effects out of, of food addiction. Um, and again, I mean, Jen, I don't think that gets anywhere near the airtime that it should. Um, you know, this is a massive thing that we should be plugging and pushing a lot more. This is, you know, this is a massive addiction. But coming from the other side now, David, when we're consuming these foods, we're suffering with insulin resistance uh, and inflammation. How can you explain to the listeners how this is damaging to the body uh, and what we can do to, to repair this? Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing, remember, the whole thing is that a high blood sugar damages the lining of your arteries in hours. We've got a non-stick lining of the arteries to your brain and your eyes and your kidneys. And that is called the glycocalyx. And only a few of a high blood sugar damages the glycocalyx. And then against that, let's think about insulin and what it's there for. It's there to protect you and me uh, from a high blood sugar. So insulin reacts quickly to get out of your stream where it could do damage. And it actually, it's a good question is where does the sugar go? And I'm often asking patients, where do you think that sugar goes? And it actually gets turned into fat inside the cells. So some of the sugar is used up, obviously, for running around. 
but many of us consume more carbohydrates than we need to run around. And the excess is turned into fat inside your cells. Gives you a bigger tummy, which, Richard, it sounds as if you had a bigger tummy at one point. Uh, but more importantly, the, um, the fat increases in your liver. And this is really important. This is the work of Professor Roy Taylor from Newcastle University, where you continue to eat breakfast cereals, rice, potatoes, biscuits, and your liver is filling with fat. And unfortunately, the fat in the liver interferes with the work of insulin so that uh, you become less sensitive. So your insulin doesn't work as well. And that means uh, that you're less able to deal with blood sugars. So for a while, you're only if, if your insulin doesn't work well, you are forced to produce more insulin. You become hyperinsulinemic. You produce more insulin. But unfortunately, there's a double whammy here because the pancreas, the gland that produces insulin, is also filling with fat. So your ability to produce more insulin is compromised. And this is absolutely at the heart of how millions of people become uh, type 2 diabetic. Uh, so the two problems, one is your insulin doesn't work as well. And the other is producing insulin is a problem. So that uh, after a while, you actually have type 2 diabetes, which means you cannot anymore regulate your blood sugar to within safe levels. And those high blood sugars can damage the lining of your artery, as I told you at the beginning. It's got to a point now, I think it's 38% of the entire uh, of the developed world have fatty liver. So that's more than one in three of everybody we know. And I know in the practice, um, the number of people with abnormal liver function and fatty liver, it, there are thousands and thousands of patients and they're getting younger and younger. So one of the main effects of too much carbohydrate in your diet is that that all has to go somewhere and uh, it becomes fat in your belly. It also uh, becomes fat in your pancreas and uh, can. Somebody just point put in the point. Yes, there is a connection be between um, hyperinsulinemia and pancreatic cancer. And actually, there is a link uh, between hyperinsulinemia and eight cancers. So I have seen um, an increase in certainly colorectal cancer in people who are very heavy. That's definitely happening. And of course, insulin, we, we talk about insulin and glucose, but it does lots of other things. Insulin is a growth factor. And so this would make sense really around cancer and insulin. So if insulin is a growth factor, you need it for puberty to grow. But it's also part of how tumors uh, can grow. And I'm afraid it doesn't even stop there. Um, in our early work together, Jen and I were really confused and surprised by the improvements in blood pressure that our patients were showing. And I personally 
I found my blood pressure improved. And it took me two years to find out what is the link between giving up carbs and improving your blood pressure. And this is it, the answer. So we've known since 1932 that a high-carb diet is a high-insulin diet, and insulin causes your kidneys to hoard salt. So high-carb is high-insulin. Your kidneys don't wee out salt properly, and that puts your blood pressure up. And significant improvements in blood pressure for people when they go uh, low carb. I expect most of you notice when you first went low carb, you weed a lot. You're actually weeing out lots of salt. And it's why uh, if you go keto particularly, you might need more salt at the beginning of the diet because otherwise you get headaches and keto flu because suddenly you're weeing out uh, salt you've been hoarding for a while. And I, Jen and I both have a lot more uh, salt than we used to. I think I've probably said enough now. It's time, Jen, for something. Yeah, no, fantastic. Love that. I, I, spot on. I mean, high blood pressure is an insulin-dependent state. Um, in states of elevated insulin, insulin will pull sodium from four points in the nephrons in the kidneys back into the blood, wherever sodium goes, yes. water follows. This is why we get high blood pressure. Um uh, there are a lot of research into the ren- renin angiotensin aldosterone system. Uh, you know, it reveals yes. several mechanisms in, in regards to why we retain um, uh, you know, elevated uh, sodium levels. But we shouldn't fear sodium. It's not the source of, of high blood pressure. No. And unfortunately, it's something else that's been demonized within society. Sodium yes. is, in fact, essential for life. We cannot live without it. Um, there's a study that I yes. referenced in one of the talks that shows when we go below 1,500 milligrams of sodium per day, uh, all-cause mortality increases massively. So sodium is, is another thing that's been demonized within society, uh, and it's another thing that we shouldn't be feeling. We should be consuming lots yeah. of sodium, particularly from natural sources like pink Himalayan and yes. Catholic sea sorts of a fantastic point there on on, on blood pressure. Uh, and again, coming back... I, to I I often say, uh, well, it's just a point about true causes of illness that I made at the very beginning. Again, for 25 years, I'm just giving out drugs for high blood pressure without thinking why do they have high blood pressure. And this demonization of salt is unfortunate. Salt is dangerous in a high-carb environment. So it's true. Carbs and salt together um, give you problems. And of course, just as Jen was talking about, how were we designed? We weren't designed uh, to do in a high carb environment because that didn't exist uh, yeah. for. Okay, this is a very situation. And by saying we we're just blaming the wrong crystals, we're always blaming salt for what the sugar did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Can I answer? Shall I answer about the roses? How do you feel about being abstinent from sugar flat? Wobs, is it necessary and is it possible? So it's definitely possible. So there's absolutely no need for us to ingest any carbohydrate because your liver is just going to make the right amount that, that you need of glucose, the little bit that your brain needs, and there's one or two other needs that we have. It's about a teaspoon of sugar in your entire bloodstream at any one time. So you can see that 
if you eat a banana that has about five teaspoons of sugar, you, you've already got too much sugar. And people think things like bananas are incredibly healthy and necessary if you go to the gym. Well, um, as you can see, that Rich <laughs> has done very well going to the gym without any carbohydrate. And I do my little old lady boot camp four or five times a week. And I, I seem to do OK um, without without any carbohydrates at all. Now, whether it's necessary is it's more of a kind of individual question. I'd say it's, it's probably a good idea. I don't know why any uh, – it's probably a good idea to give up sugar if you, if you can. Um, that's it's a, basically a poison, so it's never, never going to do much for you. Um, in terms of how low you have to go in terms of carbohydrate, it depends on your goals and also your reaction. So, you know, if you're type 2 diabetic, it's a good idea – to, to go low but obviously if you're on medication check that out first because we don't want people uh falling over with low blood pressure or low blood sugars if you're on particular kinds of medication um but from an, an addiction point of view again it's really individual the foods that people have to give up and it depends which foods to you are a little bit like drugs so for many of us with food addiction we end up giving up all, all carbohydrate type foods apart from maybe some you know gr green veg and, and stuff like that other people who perhaps aren't quite as far along the journey or who who maybe the metabolism and they you know they've not they've not got so far they're not so so damaged they can sometimes cope with a little bit of sweet potato or you know maybe some some you know some some things like that um but but a lot of us find that we just feel better cutting out um all sugars and, and carbohydrates so it's a bit of a long-winded question but it's kind of an individual thing and it depends what your personal problems are really um how how far you want to go and and see see how you feel um does the liver make sugar in type 1 diabetes? Um, yes, I think the answer to that is yes. It would, ha would have to, wouldn't it, David? Because you yeah, you need yes. it. Your brain needs a certain amount. So that's part of the problem for them is they make sugar, but they can't deal with it because they haven't got any insulin. So they have to they have to inject a certain amount of insulin to deal with the, the sugar that the liver's making. Although I'm I'm kind of answering I'm answering David's questions here. <laughs> <laughs> love it love it just, just to add on to the back end of that as well i mean coming back to the insulin resistance um you know we all know someone who has actively tried to abstain from eating um or at least tells us that they're doing so and they don't lose any weight and we think that they are up in the middle of the night stuffing their face with pies and pasties when in fact they may be telling the truth because this weight loss is controlled by the endocrine system it's not uh, calories in versus calories out and it comes down to predominantly insulin uh, and insulin's role within the body coming back to this insulin resistance um, that while insulin is elevated insulin upregulates uh, lipoprotein lipase uh, which signals the body to store fat isn't it um, and while insulin is elevated it's biologically impossible for us to burn that fat for fuel we need another enzyme called hormone sensitive lipase to break those bonds on the glycerol backbone to put those fatty acids back into the bloodstream now the issue with cell Someone who is highly insulin resistant is insulin is elevated, but for such a long time, they may go hours and hours and hours without eating, but insulin is still elevated. They are not burning any fat for that entire time. So someone coming from a state of high insulin resistance 
is going to take a little bit longer uh, to reverse that. That's why it's critically important to go uh, low carbohydrate. Um, and, you know, everybody is individual. So if you're coming from that state of severe insulin resistance, it may take a little bit longer. Um, but this isn't a diet, is it? You know, we're not uh, teaching about this is a lifestyle. This is about eating real foods that are having low impact uh, on, on insulin response, uh, keeping that insulin low, keeping um uh, the glucagon to insulin ratio low, so we, we're able to, to utilize that fat for fuel. But that's an important factor, I think, with the curve with that insulin resistance, because insulin resistance, um, you know, we we associate that with type 2 diabetes. Um, but type 2 diabetes, so if you to go to be tested with yourselves uh, in regards to type 2 diabetes, um, a person may come back as not being type 2 diabetic because you're testing blood glucose and not insulin, isn't it? So um, the reality is that insulin may be increased behind the scenes and you are in fact insulin resistance because the point that you were diagnosed with diabetes began 10 to 15 years prior to that. So if you have been tested for diabetes through um, you know, glucose, uh, a glucose test and it's, it's probable that you are insulin resistant. And a way to tell is central adiposity, skin tags, skin irritations. Well, I think that most of us on the high street are highly insulin resistant. And, and uh, you know, this is why we need to, to actively look at carbohydrates, foods that are in this insulin response, and foods that are high in lectins as well also, because I think lectins, um, they, they tend to get... Uh, uh, they don't get the airtime they deserve, but lectins are carbohydrate-binding proteins which bind to insulin receptors and signal the body to store five times more fat than insulin does itself. And, they, and then we've got seed oils, which are high in oxidized omega-6 linoleic acid, which causes insulin resistance, I believe, around 6% higher than carbohydrates or the effect of insulin does. So there's all of these contributing factors. Uh, I've thrown a lot at you there. Do, do either one of you want to jump in and, uh, and add or, or, or add anything I just said? Well, I just wanted to say, Rose, oh, I, need, I think... Um, a little bit about hunger. Oh. Go on, then. <laughs> yeah, I'll go first, then, and then... Okay. There's a, there's a delay, so it's a bit difficult. I wanted to talk hunger... Uh, in the context of what you were saying, really. So I'd, I'd summarize it. We are actually a dual fuel engine. So it's genius. We can burn fat or we can burn glucose. Problem, uh, the sting in the tail for insulin is because of insulin's um, priority to deal with sugar, it prevents you from being able to burn fat. So in a carby environment with insulin uh, resistance, it's very unlikely that you'll be able to burn your fat. And this explains why somebody might be very overweight, but they're genuinely hungry. So they are genuinely hungry. And hunger actually is the problem. People eat because they, they might be addicted, but they're hungry. They say they're hungry and they are. Yeah. And this is just a point that might interest some people. So if you get your insulin down low enough, then after an adaption period, which can take up to two weeks, you start burning the fat. And then, again, in every clinic that I do, people tell me they're suddenly surprised not to be hungry. And they're saying things like, do I have to eat breakfast? Because I just don't feel I have to. And I'm saying, hooray, no, you're burning fat. now. You've got fat to burn. And that's what you're about. And I think, uh, I know myself, if I'm feeling really hungry, 
I've usually something's wrong somewhere in my system if I'm um, I'm really hungry. So I just wanted to underline what you said around the dual fuel engine and around hunger. And uh, we're talking about keto. And keto is really, that's when you're burning fat and you tend to be less hungry. So I'll shut up now and it's Jen's turn. <laughs> no, but I was just going to go back. Rose, yeah, Rose was saying it's so hard, isn't it? I've really, really sympathised, Rose. It is, it is. It is really hard for those of us who's uh, have got this, you know, this real struggle. And probably, I don't know, like me, you've probably had it since you were born. I can't remember a time when I didn't, you know, just love sugary, carbohydrate-y stuff um, and was kind of thinking about it a lot of the time. And, you know, some of us are, are kind of really, really born with that. So it, it is really hard. Um, and you've got a support group. So that's superb that's great yeah just keep trying don't don't be dieting don't be sort of thinking that it's about restricting what you eat have plenty of your protein and your good fats eat eat on a eat on a regular basis don't be trying to sort of think of it like a like a diet that's that's my main advice and then also work on this other stuff in life that's you know going to going to give you that feel good factor that's that's not to do with food those of us that are food addicts just get obsessed with food and it's all we think about. And we need to force ourselves to exercise and do other things and have other hobbies and, um, uh, you know, get get all of that going in life. So I'm just really sympathising with anyone on here who who's uh, who's struggling with the, with the food addiction. And, um, you know, we're going to be setting up some groups and support groups as well through the phc so maybe you can join us as well you can never have too many support groups that's brilliant i think we'll put a link to the public health collaboration in the description on youtube and then when we put the clips out from this as well we'll do exactly the same thing um we're gonna have to wrap up this section because Streamyard can't do 24 hours in a row so we're gonna have to say goodbye to dr david unwin and dr jen unwin and then spend about five minutes telling people how to follow us for the next uh, <laughs> next 10 hours <laughs> wow this is the end of this section, but I've learned so much. I, I love listening to you both. I think you're sort of like a yin and yang. It's quite nice to, <laughs> to see your different approaches. It's, ex- it's excellent. Um, I Richard, think, do you uh, want to I, wrap up? Because you, yeah, I, look, I, I thank you both so much for coming on. I don't think the time that we've had is, is anywhere near long enough. Um, I, I'd love to do this again with both of you. Uh, maybe we could do a joint thing, Stephen, maybe you know, for, for another podcast, but there's lots of information to put out there. I think we've only just scratched the surface, but thank you both so much for taking the time on a Sunday, especially as you're celebrating a wedding anniversary, I believe you said it was. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you both so much. Um, I, Steve, can we pop the links when we post this? Uh, obviously, this is live, but we're going to post this moving forward. We can pop links to, to their... their, their uh, yeah, well, uh, what's going to happen is, is, is YouTube will have 10 hours, uh, which I am going to edit down to to hours um but there will be one version of this which will be 10 hours um so just give me a couple of weeks <laughs> to edit it all down and i'm I, it will take a bit of time but it'll be worth doing and you'll have all the links and then i'll try and do some clips of you like you know the main points if i can but it's going to be a bit of a task <laughs> but anyway, I want to thank you just for turning up. But it'll, it'll, it'll all be out there soon. By the end of July, hopefully, it'll all be there. 
Kings included. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you both. Massively appreciate appreciated. Thank you both so much. Hope you've enjoyed. Um yeah, it's been fun. But uh thank you guys. Take care and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Your support means the absolute world to me. And if you're enjoying the show, I've got a small favour to ask you. I'd be incredibly grateful if you would consider becoming a supporter and make a small monthly donation. Your contribution will really help to improve the show. I'll be able to improve the software, maybe put a few more episodes out and do many things that I'm hoping to do in the future. Do them a lot quicker. So it's a small monthly contribution. You can cancel at any time and the link is in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening.